It's so good to see all of you guys here today. As you take a seat, just say hi, wave at somebody near you and close to you. Appreciate you, Megan, and everyone on the stage today and our team. Thank you all you guys and ladies working behind the scenes so we can say hi to everyone watching and participating and watching online today. Well, it's Sunday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving week is upon us. Uh, it's crazy that it's already here. It is. It's amazing. Um, and listen, I, we're, we're going to attempt to close out a series that we've been in. This is probably one of the longest series I think we've done in quite some time uh, on our journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to attempt to wrap this up today and see what the Spirit has to say to us today. So let me invite you, open up to the book of Acts. We're actually going to start in the last chapter, 28, and then we're going to work our way back from 24 a little bit. Acts chapter 28, verse 16, and then verse 30 and 31 will be our main text today, and we'll springboard from there. Again, the, the whole book of, of Acts was written by Luke, um, who is the gospel of Luke, written by that, that person. And uh, he is in and out of the different journeys and travels with the different disciples and with Paul a whole lot. And he's writing this part right here. Acts 28, verse 16 says, When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Verse 30, And for the next two years... Paul lived in Rome at his own expense under house arrest. So he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's check this last part out. And no one tried to stop him. No one tried to stop him. I want to preach a message today that I've titled Piety, Politics, problems, and providence. All right, we'll see what that means. <laughs> so here we got Paul, the end game of, of this part of his life before things go south and, and he becomes a martyr, is he spends these final these these two years and he invests these two years at Rome at his own expense, but under house arrest welcoming everyone who comes to visit him. And you can imagine who might that, that could be anybody. That could be those who want to talk to him, who like him, those who don't, trying to rattle his cage or who, whatever it could be. You know, it, it has, all implies all, any and all, he welcomed them. And, and in that time frame, he boldly proclaimed the kingdom of God. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God, the power, the reign, the rule of Jesus. Even though Paul has to stay put, he's still proclaiming freedom. How about that? Boldly. And then he takes the time to teach people about the anointed one. The one who, who breaks the bondage off of people's souls. The, ones, the one who delivers people from strongholds and addiction. The one who makes all things new. The one who heals the, the hurtest heart there is. The one, Jesus, he teaches about him while under house arrest. And scholars teach us too, and we look at the different dates that some 
epistles are written, New Testament letters. He writes several letters while in prison, while having to stay put. Writes to the Ephesians, writes to the Colossians, writes to the Philippians. He wrote a letter to Timothy. He writes, uh, wrote a letter to Philemon. He wrote all of these letters and epistles throughout his tenure of pri- imprisonment there at Rome and prior when he was back in Caesarea. And he writes these, these letters. And I think for him to be able to invest those solid two years, he had to rely on something greater than himself. He even had to rely on someone greater than those in his presence. He had to rely on the providence of God. The act and the, of, of the care and the guidance of God in and over his life. He had to trust in and rely upon that providence that guided him all those years. The one who goes back to, to his, to his uh, on the road to Damascus when he was knocked off his horse and he went blind and Jesus spoke to him and he surrendered his life to him. And from that day forward, the providence of God never let him down. The providence of God took him through a lot of places, took him through to deal with the pious ones, took him to deal with those in politics, took him through his problems. And that's where we pick up with this story. The end part here of Rome is where his destination was. It was where he asked to go to have his final trial. This is where he needed to spend some time. God in in his providence knew the time he needed to carve out for Paul to be able to just sit, to be able to pen, to be able to write these letters, to be able to boldly proclaim the kingdom of God and teach others about this Jesus, the anointed one who saved his life from the, from the pits of hell, who, who, who delivered this um, authorized murderer, this one who said, hey, these people don't, don't deserve to be living, the one who stood at the, at the, at the foot of, of, of Stephen the deacon and he authorized him to be stoned. God, Jesus saved this man. And he went on to plant so many churches, save so many people, heal countless people from ailments and sickness and disease and deliver them from demon possession. I mean, you name it. And then to write all of these New Testament letters to build and encourage and strengthen and guide and teach and admonish the church, the believers. I mean, talk about a transformation. You see, the goal was never about performance for Paul. It was always to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Our goal in coming to church is not to be entertained, but it is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you and I want to see preachers and people perform magic tricks, that is not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is to depopulate hell and to populate heaven. The goal of Christianity is to tell others, this is what Jesus has done for me. I'm not making it up and I'm not playing a game, but I once was lost and now I am found. I once was stubborn and stupid, but God saved me and softened me and did something in me. The goal is never about the outward things. It's always about the heart of a person being touched by the power of God and the love 
of God. And that's Paul's life, and he spends his life giving his life to that. In fact, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he says, Hey, it's over. I'm done. I know this is the end for me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race, and I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous one will give to me on that day. Paul admonishing Timothy, hey, I'm in chains and I'm done. I know this is the end for me, but I'm going to write this final thing to you and tell you in my last bit of time that I have, you also, you need to keep the faith. You need to fight the fight. You need to finish your race. And how does someone like that, knowing this is the end, knowing he can't go anywhere, knowing he's, he's, he's prohibited in traveling, this is it. People are having to come to him, and he's having to write and send letters out because of who he relied on. Because of who he relied on. The providence of God. But let's go back a little bit before he gets to Rome. Chapter 24. You see this uh, weaving of piety and politics wrapped into, into this life of Paul. And it just, I don't know, I can't imagine how it made him feel to a degree. We can read a little bit about it. But just let's just kind of quickly walk through this. Piety, the act or of appearing righteous through religious rhetoric and rules. That's what I mean by that. The act of appearing righteous through religious rhetoric and rules. Piety. 24.1, it says, now just keep in mind, Paul was arrested. Paul was then taken in and questioned, and uh, the Jewish elders and the leading priest and all these people trying to make a case against him, and he's, and he's in, the, in Governor Felix's care under his authority. And here it picks up in verse 124. It says, Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer, Tertullus, to present their case against Paul to the, uh, to the governor. And when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. Just listen to the piety of this man speak. It says, you have provided a long period of peace for us. He's speaking to the governor. He says, you have provided a long period of peace for us Jews, and with foresight you have enacted reforms for us. He says, for all of this, your excellency, we are very grateful to you. This is the Jewish attorney. He says, but I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. That's how I picture it. He says, we have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. And he goes on, and then Paul's given a chance to defend himself. You got these Jews, these, el these leading priests and elders who are the plaintiffs. Paul's the defendant, and you see the piety in which they pitch this complaint. And then politics comes into play, and I define that by the act of strategizing situations for personal gain and benefit. Look on down in verse 24. Felix, it says, a few days later, this governor came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sending for Paul. They listened as he told them 
about faith in Jesus. Verse 26. Felix hoped that Paul would bribe him. Catch that? Hoped that he would bribe him. So he sent for him quite often and he talked with him. And then after two years went by, two stinking years. This is happening off and on. Felix was succeeded by Festus and because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison politics. Piety and politics. Two years he put, keeps him in prison so that he can gain favor with some people. Then jump over to chapter 25. Piety weaves its way back in. Verse 6. Remember, Felix is succeeded by Festus. Festus is now in, in place. Verse 6. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea, and on the following day he took his seat in court. This is a couple of years that have gone by. He took his seat in court and he ordered that Paul be brought in. Verse 7, when Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations that they couldn't prove. Back in court, same old story, same accusations, none of it true, not able to prove it. And these Jewish elders and leaders, these ones who appear to be righteous by their rhetoric and their rules, are delivering this pious proclamation that Paul has done in these things. And then, the rest of chapter 25, politics goes back into play. King Agrippa comes to town. This is a big parade, this big to-do, big motorcade, if you will. Big camel parade. And he wants to hear what Paul, this Paul, has to say. The king does. Then Paul shares his testimony with King Agrippa. And he goes back through his story of how he was born again and how all of it happened and what he's been doing. And that none of this stuff is true that they say. And then near the end of chapter 26, verse 30, it says, Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and they left. All these prominent people, politic people, says they went out. Notice this, as they went out, all the, um, they talked it over and they agreed. This man, Paul, hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And then Agrippa says to Festus, well, he could have been set free. He just hadn't appealed to Caesar. So he goes off the record, off the record, so as to not entrap himself, so as to not get involved, so as to not put himself on the line, off the record, says, you know, he could have really been set for he plays politics. So you have this Paul in the middle of all this for a couple of years, dealing with pious people and dealing with the politics of the day. His life, we're not talking, I mean, we're talking about a life here. In the middle of all this. And then Paul, chapter 27, it's time. They're going to send him on to Rome for his trial. So Paul dealing with piety, Paul dealing with politics, and now Paul's got to deal with some problems along the way. Providence, the act of the care and the guidance of God in and over our life. Chapter 27 through part, most of 28 shares the details of the journey from Caesarea to, uh, uh, to Rome. And again, Paul, in the middle of the will of God, keep this in mind, 
in the middle of the will of God experiences problems. You and I, being in the middle of the will of God, means that at times in life, we will face problems. Problems we couldn't plan on, we couldn't plan for, we couldn't prepare enough for. Problems. Problems. Paul saw delays. Paul saw detours. Paul experienced difficulties. Paul experienced so much darkness that it blotted out the sun and the stars. Some real problems. And I know nobody in here has real problems, right? We all have problems. We have problems. And check this out. Chapter 27. We're just going to... We're going to scan this story quickly through here. Look at some of their problems. Look at some of the problems Paul encountered. Verse 4. So they left Caesarea, set sail for Italy. Verse 4. It says, putting out to sea, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. Isn't that kind of like life? We set out but we encounter strong headwinds to make it difficult to stay on course. Anybody ever been driven off course? You've been trying to serve Jesus, trying to follow the path of God for your life, and think problems arise, strong headwinds arise that try to push against you, to try to make it difficult for you and I to stay on course. Then verse 7. It says, we had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, listen to the, to the description, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Nidus. But the wind was against us, so then we had to sail across to Crete. Several days of slow sailing. Anybody ever feel like, man, you're just going along, and then all of a sudden, you seem to step off into some quicksand? It feels like quicksand. Why they call it quicksand, I don't know, because it's slow. It's so slow. But you, you, you lose traction. You just seem to hit a brick wall. You seem to just come up against some strong resistance that makes life feel like it's moving in slow motion, kind of like it never is going to end right now where I'm at. Where I'm at doesn't seem to ever Look, I'm looking for the way out off this train. I'm looking for a way off this ride. I'm looking for a way to get out of this place. But I just, it, it just doesn't, it's just so slow going. And it feels like it's taking forever to deal with something, to get through the, this problem. Then verse 8, it says, We struggled along the coast. With great difficulty. And then finally we arrived in Fair Havens. Struggled with great difficulty. I mean, Paul, I can only think maybe he might have thought for a moment, I should not have asked to go to Rome. Maybe I shouldn't have said, God, I'll go wherever you want to send me. I'll do whatever you want to with my life. I surrender all, all to Jesus, him I owe. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, right? And we go through problems. Early on in my Christian faith, I thought problems meant I wasn't being faithful to God's call on my life. 
And I would get mad and I would get irritated and I would get frustrated and I would get entitled to think, I'm not supposed to be going through no problems. I'm supposed to be preaching Jesus. I'm supposed to be telling everybody else how to get through problems, but I'm not supposed to be going through problems. That's how green I was. And then you go through problems. (laughs) You start to realize, oh, wait. And that favor ain't fair thing. It hits us all. It hits us all. And we've struggled with great difficulty. God's got a word for for you today, and he's about to drop a bomb in here. A good one. Don't run. Look at verse 13. It says, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought, we can make it. They pulled up anchor sail close to the shore of Crete. But then the weather changed abruptly. And a wind of typhoon strength called a nor'easter burst across the land and blew us out to sea. Verse 18. The next day as gale force winds continued, they continued Oh my goodness, they continued to batter the ship. The crew began throwing the cargo overboard. And the following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. And the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Man. That is a tough place to be. You got a guy leaning on providence. You got a guy who planted all these churches. You got a guy who wrote all these letters who impacted thousands upon thousands of people. And here he is in the middle of a problem of a storm and it has blotted out all sense of hope. What do you do? What do you do? Well, here's what Paul did. Here's what he told him in verse 22. He says, take courage, guys. There's 276 people on board. Take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Check this part out. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong. Come on, somebody. Who do you belong to? You better know it. And whom I serve. Mm, I'm not in this thing just to get mine. I'm here to serve and help somebody else. I don't go through my stuff just for me. I go through this so my story can help somebody else. He said, the angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. When all hope is blotted out, you better know who you belong to and whom you serve with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and what little bit of change you can muster together when you hardly have any left. You better know that when you are going through it, You better know that God will show up for you and it's the one whom you belong to and whom you serve. It said, that angel came and stood beside me. And who was it that told everybody don't panic in the midst of this problem? 
It was the one who was leaning on providence. It doesn't make sense to have to go through stuff just to get to where you're called to get to. But just you wait. The problem, God shows up in the middle of it. When you don't think you can handle any more, when someone you know is in a place of darkness, God's providence is at work. God's providence is at work. And then, that's what he told him you're not gonna die. He goes on, he says, Don't be afraid. You will surely stand trial before Paul, is what God told, the angel told Paul. You're going to go to Caesar. You're going you're gonna to do your thing. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to every sail, everyone sailing with you. So take courage. I love this. So take courage. He says, for I believe God. Paul's telling the sailors, 276 of them, take courage because I believe God. Take courage because I believe God. I believe what this angel told me. I believe it looks bad right now. It's scary right now. It is topsy-turvy. It is tumultuous. It is awful. It, this, this part of life sucks. But I trust God. I believe God. And he says, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked. So it wasn't all that great. But we're going to live. We're going to live. And then verse 44, it said, So everyone escaped safely to the shore. The ship was beat to death, pulverized. I mean, planks was all there was. All 276 got to shore safely. Man, problems. Paul had piety to deal with. Paul had politics to deal with. Paul had some serious problems to deal with. And then they land on this island. The first part of 28 makes for a great preaching message. They land on this island called Malta. Everybody was so friendly and so nice. They built a fire. Paul's, that's the one where, you know, Paul had just survived the, the, the storm on the sea. And now that here Paul is about to survive a serpent biting his hand, a deadly one. Goes in, you know grab some firewood, the heat drives this serpent out, latches onto Paul's hand, and the locals were like, not good, this guy's going to die. They just wait around, waiting for him to blow up and just be dead. He shook it off, went on, he didn't die. They're like, oh, you're all right, so you're not what everybody thinks. Okay, it's going to be okay. And then, then let's pick up this part, verse 7. It says, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. And it happened, as it happened, verse 8, as it happened. Got to remember that. Publius's father was ill with fever. And he went, and Paul went in, and he prayed for him. He had dysentery. He said he went in and prayed for him. And he laid his hands on him. And he healed him. But it didn't stop. Then all the other sick people on the island came, and they were healed. So everybody on the island who was sick got healed. 
So they're on this island called Malta. They weren't even supposed to go there. Malta was not part of the plan. You know, there are things that happen that you and I don't plan for, but God does. And then God will use for his glory and our good. There are things that happen in our life that just, there's no explanation. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. But if we will learn to lean into providence, we will discover providence leans into us. Because who else are you going to lean on when you're going through it? Who else are you going to lean on when you got problems? Who else are you going to depend on when you got pain? Who else? I mean, lean on the one who can actually do something for you. Lean on the one who can help you. Now, he's, he's, not, he's not a genie in a lamp. Don't misquote the kingdom of God. Don't misunderstand how God works. He's not a genie in a lamp. He is God Almighty. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He bows to no one. Everyone bows to him out of reverence and fear and honor and respect because when you face to face with love, you have nothing else to do but receive love. Love is overwhelming. Love is overpowering. The love of God is hard to resist, but yet people every day try to run from it and hide from it because they're scared. But love is safe in him. Perfect love casts out all fear. The love of God. And here, who do you run to? Paul, leaning and relying on providence and seeing providence lean into him. Malta was not part of the plan. Malta was not on the itinerary. This island of Malta was not supposed to be a stop for them. It was supposed to just be a clean sail, a smooth sail from Caesarea to Rome, and that'd be the end of it. But instead... You have all of these problems. You have these delays, these detours, these difficulties, and these nights of darkness that last and don't seem to want to end. And then they land, and they shipwreck. They didn't safely land in the sense that the ship pulled in. The ship broke apart and was wrecked. Their lives were spared. All 276 safely arrived ashore. While they're on shore, Paul gets bit by a serpent, shakes it off. They see he's cool. He's not a, he's not a demon. He's, gonna, he's a good guy. And he ends up going to the chief official's house who entertains them and hosts them for three days and he finds out why he's there that his dad is ill and feverish and has dysentery bad and he's like well I'm going to pray for him and God's going to heal him and that's exactly what happens and then they think well hey there's some more people around here who aren't feeling that great either so they all came to Paul and they all and he prayed for them and he healed every single one of them Malta was not part of the plan Paul could have been like, you know, I'm just too important for this thing here on Malta. You guys are not the kind of people I want to be hanging out with. I'm not supposed to associate myself with unbelievers. I know I wrote that in the other letter I wrote to the Corinthians, but here's the deal. I'm just, I, don't fit, I know you're, you got dysentery and you're feverish. Oh, my, I should stay six feet away from you, and I don't think that this is good. And he's like, so uh, I'm going to build a little cabin. Hey, you guys who like me on this boat, uh, can you like build me a little hut and bring me some, some maybe some, uh, some wine and some bread, some cheeses, and some grapes? I'm going to be in my green room back here praying. Green room's code for the, the, the room behind the stage where the important people hang out before church. You know, but no, what did Paul do? Paul's like, I don't care. I ain't scared. Goes and just lays hands on everybody. Everybody comes to him. He lays hands on You're sick. You're sick. Okay, be well, be well. Oh, you're not feeling good. I'm sorry. Here, bless you. Be healed in Jesus. I mean, he just prays that everybody on the island who was sick got healed. Malta was not part of the plan, but Paul 
decided, hey, if I'm ever going to get out of here and get to Rome, because God already told me I was going to get to Rome. He sent the angel and told me, you're going to get to Rome. You're going to be where you're supposed to be. This is a detour. This is not what you planned. But so Paul's like, well, I'm going to make the most of my Malta. And friends and church family, we all have Maltas in our life. We all have detours. We all have places where life takes us that we didn't plan to go. We didn't plan to hang. We didn't plan to stop. We tried to get around it. We tried to get by it. We tried to bypass it. You know, bypasses, you know what those are? And we're not, and this was not part of my plan, but Paul's like, I'm going to make the most of my Malta. If I'm going to ever get to Rome, then I've got to make the most of this place I'm in. And so we have Maltas in our life. What do we do with those? Do we sit around and complain about them? Do we like groan and moan and scoff and like, God, this is a bad place to be in. I don't want to be here. What you've brought me at is not the right thing. This is not on my 10-year plan. This wasn't even on my five. This wasn't even my one-year plan. This was not in my journal board. You saw my daytime. You saw my mapped out vision board. Yeah, this Malta wasn't on it. He's like, I know, but Malta will make you something better than you thought you were. Malta will put some meat on your bones. Malta will put some faith in your soul. Malta will make you be used by me even when you didn't think you could. You don't have it figured out yet because you're not on the plate. You're not where I have you, and I will show you where you belong if you will just take advantage of this inconvenient time called life and give it all to me and let me make the most of it in you and through you. We all have Maltas. But if we ever want to get off our Malta and get to our Rome, then we got to be willing. We got to just be willing to not, instead of complain, think. Instead of compromise, keep living by conviction. Because there are going to be some other people on Malta that, hey, don't believe the same way. And they're going to think you should die because you got bit by a serpent. They think, well, look at the problem in your life. You must not be legit. No, you just shake it, and you keep going. And you keep living by the core principle of the Word of God in your life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you keep holding fast to what you know is true and what you know is right and what you know is real. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing with their Malta time right now. Everybody else might be making all kinds of stupid stuff on their Malta. But you, you keep making the sacrifice of praise. You keep giving yourself to it. You keep, keep leaning into the faithfulness of God. Oh, it's not, the, it's not the most beautified place. It's not the best place. Look around. We're in our Malta right now as a church. This is not where I thought we would be. This is not the place I thought we would gather as New Life Church for now going on seven years. This is not everything that I thought God had laid up for us. And guess what? It's not. But we're going to make it like it's ours. We're going to treat it like it's ours. We're going to invite people in like we really want them to come. We're going to keep being faithful, keep sowing, keep praying, keep giving, keep serving, keep worshiping, keep going with what God has while we're here because soon Sooner or later, we will leave Malta and there will be a Rome for us where we will stay for a period of time where we will boldly proclaim the kingdom of God and we will teach others about the anointed one called Jesus Christ and we will show the city of Jackson that new life and my life and your life, though once was living in obscurity, God brings out and brings to notoriety because of the goodness of God in you, the gift of God in you, the life of God in you, the greatness of Jesus. 
Jesus in you. And that is what God wants to do with you and he wants to do with me. So therefore, I will not quit. I will not take a knee. I will keep pressing on to the greater things God has. So what do you do on your Malta? You keep being faithful. There's no fun in being faithful. Nobody's paying attention to my faithfulness. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But you know who, who keeps track of it? Your creator. Providence keeps track of whether or not you will be faithful when no one else is looking. Providence. Clock says quit. Got to get to that end. Look what happened in verse 10. Verse 8 says, so as it happened. Verse 10 said, as a result. Mm. You want the right result out of your life? Lean into as it happens. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to truly navigate it all and have I'm, I'm preaching to me the guy who has 12 plans in two minutes if I wanted the right result to happen out of my life here he is I, as a result we were showered with honors and when the time came to sail the people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip and it was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship. Think about that. 276 Roman officers, Roman soldiers, prisoners, all impacted with honor. Because Paul leaned on the providence of God. There are people in your circle... And there will, pe there will be people after you who will, who will feel the effect of whether or not how close you leaned on the providence of God. And they did. And then Paul, I love, I love this right here. Providence did not forget Paul. He goes, he deals with this piety the politics, the problems. Verse 15. It says, Then the, the brothers and the sisters, the believers in Rome. God already had people, family of God, waiting for Paul's arrival. They had heard they were coming. And it says, And when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and he thanked God. Some of us are afraid to take some steps because we don't know, will providence already be there? God already sets it up. When we yield to him, he sets it up to have the right people in the right place at the right time. 
Paul saw providence work personally for him. It brought him encouragement. <sighs> Thank God I kept going. Mm. Thank God I didn't stop. Thank God I didn't choose plan B. Thank God I made myself get up, get dressed, and go. Thank God I kept showing up. Thank God I didn't stop. Thank God I clocked in today. I don't even like clocking in. I don't like where I'm clocking in, but I'm going to clock in anyway. Because it'll lead to your own. God wants you because we don't know over two years everyone who was impacted Paul boldly proclaiming Paul welcoming, Paul teaching Paul writing thousands upon thousands and who, who, who's, who's talking about it today we are what this was AD 65 AD 70 like it, the time was just starting for, for us AD Right? Who's talking about it in 2021? 2021. We are talking about somebody who was on, who encountered all of these things. And we're the ones who are talking about it today. Don't tell me that somebody who will walk the long road of obedience will not, who, whose story will not be told 2,000 years later if and when if Jesus doesn't return by them. But if he doesn't and he still is waiting and there are people still alive, they will read and they will hear. Nonetheless, tomorrow somebody can talk about your story. That, Rodney. Yeah, you know that one who kind of grew his fro out a little bit and trimmed it back down. Yeah, you, his story. Oh, you, you, yeah, you're dealing with that. Let me tell you about this story. You just don't know. You just don't know. I'll tell you about the story. God wants to use your life. Providence will use you in a most helpful, beneficial way there is. But it's waiting and depending upon us to lean in. And so for two years, Paul did this in Rome. And I can only imagine he also had the habit of taking communion. Because he wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 11 in A.D. 56. So several years prior to this imprisonment, Paul was still practicing what he preached. And I want to read you what he wrote out of the message, and then we're going to take communion. I've used all the time. Paul writes this, Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. He said, I received my instructions from the master himself and I passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. 
do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this cup is the blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. He says, what you must solemnly realize is that every time, everybody say every time, every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and your actions with your life the death of the master until he returns. He says, you will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. And so you must never let familiarity breed content. So two years, I'm sure it was, a, it was an act of worship for Paul frequently, maybe daily. And maybe every time someone came to visit him, he said, hey, before you go, let me tell you what the master told me. Yeah, I wrote about it to the church at Corinth, but I want to tell you right here at Rome. Can you imagine that? I mean, every time you take this, he said, every time you eat, every time you drink, you're reenacting with your life the death of Jesus until he returns. And so you can't let familiarity breed contempt. This cannot be so common that it loses its power for what it means. How can a man like Paul endure what he did because of his reliance on providence? Providence will always get the last word. Providence will always prevail. But providence wants the person, you, me, to travel him and go on the journey this destiny this purpose that he created you for so we must always take the time to remember providence at work if you've got your bread ready and your juice Hopefully one day we can rip apart some real bread. But until then, we're going to be thankful on our Malta. You got your bread, Lord, we lift it to you. Representing the body of Jesus. Broken for us. We take it now to remember providence at work in us. Let's take it. Lord, we lift the cup, the cup of the new covenant that is your blood, Jesus, shed for our forgiveness. Today, we take it with thankfulness that you don't give us what we deserve, but out of your mercy and your kindness and your love, you bring forgiveness to our souls. We drink it now to remember providence at work in our life. Let's take it. Lean into providence. 
let providence lean into you.